unveiling the secrets A-list copywriters use to make themselves and their clients millions. This is the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. All right, copywriters, welcome back to the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. David, how you doing, man? Oh, good, Nathan. How about you? I'm doing fantastic. And we've got... Uh, you sent me over the notes and I was a little bit curious about this week's episode. So I'm, I'm going to kick back and I'm going to let you, I'm going to let you take control. Ooh, what a lead in. Um, so Nathan, do you know about the Heimlich maneuver? I do. Okay. Well, I've got something you probably don't know because in 1974, Dr. Henry Heimlich invented the Heimlich maneuver and it's a way, as, as you know, but maybe not all of our listeners know. It's a way of grabbing a choking person from behind uh, with your thumb or your uh, fist right around their solar plexus and giving them a really fast, hard, abrupt squeeze when they're choking on food to kick the food out of their throat, force it out of their throat, get them to cough it up, spit out, and save their lives. And it, yeah, it, it really does. When there's when there's food in your airway, you can die of you know no air. So the Heimlich Maneuver, okay, everyone knows that, or that's common knowledge. It saved many lives over the years, including lives of famous people. But get this, Dr. Heimlich never used the Heimlich Maneuver himself until he was 96 on May 23rd, 2016, at the Dupree Retirement Home. He was having a meal, a dinner in Cincinnati. And he saw a woman choking on a piece of meat with a bone inside the meat. He didn't know that at the time, but he just saw a woman choking. So he applied the Heimlich maneuver on this woman, and he saved her life. And that was May 23rd, 2016. It was sad that he died of a heart attack in December of 2017, seven months later. But at least during his life, he got a chance to finally find out firsthand whether or not the Heimlich maneuver really worked. So when I first heard about this, and I only heard the very bare bones of what I just told you, pardon the pun, when I first heard about this, what was it that prompted me to research it and get all of those, you know, granular, in-the-weeds details? What it was was insatiable curiosity. I thought this was a fascinating story. It was fascinating to me. So I started web search. I found some newspaper articles online to nail down the specifics. Um, And other than to open today's show, I really don't know if I'll ever have any other use for this information. But when I heard about it, I couldn't help but find out more. And that's insatiable curiosity. I, I hear stuff that really has nothing to do with my life, nothing to do with my work, except, again, to open this show, which is clearly an important part of my life, important part of my work. And yet I, I just had to, had to track it down. And, and that's what insatiable curiosity is, not just about the Heimlich Maneuver, but about everything, being interested in everything. And for copywriters, face it, look, if your copy is only about features and benefits, okay, it, it'll work, it, but it becomes 
pretty boring and pretty routine. And unless someone has an urgent need for your product, and that's usually not the case, but no one's going to buy um, from really mechanical routine copy uh, because most people don't have an urgent need. They're more like they're interested, they might have a desire, or they're just curious. And then, of course, good copy will sell them into getting what they want that they didn't even fully know that they wanted. So how do you get the other stuff besides, you know, the mechanical routine features and benefit? You need to be curious and curiosity, especially insatiable curiosity. It provides you with the fuel you need to fill your copy with the energy that makes it really interesting to your project. Now, Nathan, you might be curious about what comes next. Well, I'm here to tell you the suspense is over because copy is powerful. You're responsible for how you use what you hear on this podcast. And most of the time, common sense is all you need. But if you make extreme claims and or if you're writing copy for offers in the highly regulated industries like health, finance, and business opportunity, you may want to get a legal review after you write and before you start using your copy. My larger clients do this all the time. So there you go. So I'm going to jump in real quick. I'm going to, while you were saying that, it actually reminded me of a conversation I was having with Ben Settle one time. And uh, we were talking about subject lines and what gets people to open subject lines. And we were talking about um, self-interest self and uh, letting... The fad at the time was um, using software, using the autoresponders software to... Um, automatically include somebody's first name and how people were bragging about how having somebody's first name or directly speaking to them was the best way to get people to open up uh, their emails. And Ben told me that what his experience was, and I found this to be true as well, is that especially when it comes to an email subject line, more than self-interest, curiosity will get more opens. People are more likely to open an email if the subject line evokes curiosity, then if it appeals to self-interest, I, I don't want to divert, but when it comes to grabbing people's attention, what are your thoughts on self-interest versus curiosity? Well, with subject lines, I agree with you and Ben, because if the curiosity, if especially if it could go in a couple different directions, if it's like the tip of the iceberg, but you're not sure of course, you're never sure what the iceberg is because it's underwater. Yeah, I, I, I think so. I, I, I think that's true. And also, I think being able to write subject lines that evoke curiosity is very closely relied to having curiosity yourself. Because if you don't understand um, what catches your attention and, and what makes you... Um, open an email or, or follow a lead or, or uh, start researching a subject or, uh, you know, going down a rabbit hole when in a conversation with somebody, if, if that doesn't happen to you, it's going to, and, and I've seen this too. If, if you don't understand that, it's going to be very contrived and artificial what you write. It, it's not going to be real curiosity-provoking. It's going to be like, I'm trying to be interesting as opposed to 
I know what gets people interested because I know it gets me interested. Mm. So how does this apply overall to copy? Like how can you use curiosity to really make your own copy shine? Well, a lot of ways, but let's start with what you were talking about. People often ask me about coming up with the big idea. Um, the big idea is like the peak of the mountain for a headline or a hook. Um, and, you know, despite what you might have imagined, it doesn't come like a lightning bolt from above because you're incredibly blessed or talented or lucky. It maybe occasionally it does, but most of the time, a big idea will come from being in the constant flow of different ideas, of facts, of stories, of other information, and thinking about those things and then putting them together in different combinations until you find something that works. So that's one way. Um, another way is if you're storytelling. I mean, I could have told you the story I told you in two sentences. Dr. Henry Heimlich invented the Heimlich maneuver, but he never used it until he was 96. I personally think the story I told you was more interesting. Now, if you're looking for a short, uh, I mean, what, what, I, what I just said might work better as a meme on Facebook or, you know, a message on Twitter or even possibly uh, the opening to a, a very crisp rapid fire talk at a business group about, you know, um, eat your own cooking, try your own stuff. But, but for a conversation, it's like a little, it's a little brusque and abrupt, you know? So uh, stories in your copy, um, even uh, bullets. Um, I, I remember David Deutsch gave the example and I don't remember the whole, the whole story, but it, he was talking about a bullet point that he'd written about how you can cure some disease or, or you know, fix some medical problem or make yourself feel better with a pen, with a ballpoint pen. And you know, when you find out what the bullet point he had was to something else, it it wasn't like you stick your pen on an acupuncture point or something. There, there was there was some kind of convoluted but ultimately logical connection and it, it just it created tremendous curiosity you know a lot of this has to do with the way you think and you know the, the way you think is going to be determined quite a bit by your your own curiosity right so and this is something that we've kind of touched on the in the past but i want to get your thoughts on it uh to be a good copywriter in general it seems like you kind of have to be somebody who's curious. It seems like uh, people that just take the world at face value, people that don't kind of poke and prod around at the more esoteric side of life, it seems like those people don't really make, good, make for good copywriters or good marketers. How is curiosity... How does that weigh into the fact or, or weigh into whether or not you can even be a good copywriter? Um, I, am I kind of am I am I making sense with my question? Yeah, it, it's a good one. See, I think it's possible to be um, sort of an adequate or maybe a B minus or a C plus copywriter without a whole lot of curiosity, just by learning 
to um, present stuff clearly and turn features into benefits. But once you start to rise up in the ranks, your copy's got to be interesting. And, you know, your ads need to get higher than normal or higher than average or higher than break-even response rates, click-throughs. Your, your copy's got to close bigger. And a lot of that comes from, you know, a, a very well-fed imagination. And the imagination comes from being curious. There's just no other way to get that. So I've often heard the saying, there are two types of people in this world. And you told me when it comes to curiosity, there's actually three types of people. Yeah, I think there are. So there are people who are naturally curious, already curious, and um, it, it's either rules their lives or it threads through their lives as a big theme. And if you're one of those people, you should develop it. You should become more curious. More is better. Now, there are other people who maybe are curious, but for one reason or another, and they could be positive reasons or negative reasons, like a, a positive reason is maybe to be successful in business, you had to put on blinders for a while, keep your eye on the ball, and just just block out distractions. Um, so the, the other thing is a very curious person could have come from a family that was very uncurious and strict and didn't like to um, deviate from, you know, very obvious here and now things. And they were always told to stop ask, asking so many questions and, and just, you know, do what you're told. And here's what they, this authority figure says, just do it. And, you know, like that. Um, so in, in either case, in many other cases, if you might, think you have curiosity, but you buried it. Well, today's a good day to unearth it and to find it and then develop it. That'd be like the second type of person. Third type of person is someone who's really not that curious. There are people like that. If you're one of those people, I say you have two choices. Either change and make a conscious, deliberate effort to become more curious and develop your curiosity and exercise it like a muscle that's maybe almost, almost, almost died of atrophy. Or if you're a copywriter and you're just not that curious, then you need to resign yourself. The other option is resign yourself that you're going to stay at the lower rungs of copywriting because without a sense of curiosity, You'll never be that good a copywriter. You'll never be that imaginative a marketer. When you have some copy and the performance of the copy is mission critical, who are you going to call? Not Ghostbusters. They don't do copy critiques last time I checked. A lot of people, from the most advanced to the up-and-coming copywriters, reach out to me. I do copy critiques. One client, Brett Alcorn, has hired me 20 times. Yep, 20 times. That's because on the very first critique I did for him, he doubled his conversions on a video sales letter. Every month, I do a handful of critiques for GKIC members. These are copywriters and small business owners who are trained and experienced, but they need another set of experienced eyes to go over their copy to take it to the next level. 
One A-lister told me, I go over copy like an IRS auditor. Now, I wasn't sure whether to take that as a compliment or not, but he assured me it was. He said, I can find the one flaw or several flaws in copy that no one else was able to and make winning suggestions on how to fix them. So when you need a copy critique, just go to garfinkelcoaching.com and click on the services tab, garfinkelcoaching.com for a critique. Thank you. And now back to the show. So what, what does insatiable curiosity, what does that mean for a copywriter? Okay, so we talked about a man at the end of his life, age 96, Dr. Heinlein. Let me talk about a kid, uh, something that happened to me when I was a kid. I had a friend named Mark, and he came over to our house one day, and he was sitting around with me and my parents. And he told us of this story. He had taken apart at his house. He had taken apart the toaster in the kitchen, <laughs> and he couldn't figure out how to put it back together again. So his parents weren't very happy, and they made him buy a new toaster out of his allowance. They had to pay for it himself out of his allowance, which they were giving him. And they told him not to do it again, but he couldn't help himself. So he took the new toaster apart, and he put this one back together, and there was just one problem. When his mother went to make toast for breakfast, the house almost caught on fire. And Mark really got in a lot of trouble for that. But when his parents got the next toaster and they weren't home, he took the third one apart (laughs) and he very carefully put it back together and nobody knew. Okay, so there's... There's three people listening to the story. There's me, there's my mom, and there's my dad. I was just in awe. I mean, my, my jaw dropped. I think I was drooling, you know. Um, my mother was very concerned. I could see this, and I saw her. I, I don't know quite what she was doing. I think she was flipping through her mental Rolodex to find a child psychiatrist she knew <laughs> in case Mark's parents should ever ask her. Now, my dad who is an inventor and generally a creative person had a very weird sense of humor. And he just laughed throughout the story right from the beginning. He kept laughing and laughing. Mark kept talking and Mark was digging it, having an appreciative audience. And finally, my dad puts up his hand. He says, Mark, Mark, stop. It would be so good if you told us, why did you keep taking the toaster apart and putting it back together? And Mark, leaned in real close, and he said, almost in a whisper, because I had to know. And so if you're a copywriter or a product creator, you need to have the same attitude as Mark. I don't mean taking apart toasters and putting back together, because after all, you might burn down your house that way. (laughs) What I mean is wondering about how things work and how things that aren't now might be. So one thing in my own personal life that that kind of reminds me of um, is being a marketer. It's really, it's really hard to sell to other marketers because we know all the tricks. And one of the things that I very early, very early on in my marketing adventures kind of discovered was oftentimes if somebody was good enough to sell me something, as I'm going through their product, as I'm going through their information, I'm going back and I'm looking at their sales process. And I'm saying, 
how are they using this? How did they use oh, this to sell yeah. me? Oh, and yeah. so reverse engineering what they're teaching me and going back and looking at how they sold me, uh, a lot of times I learn more from going back and looking at their sales process than I actually did from the product itself. Yeah. That's an entirely different use of curiosity I wasn't thinking about, but that's absolutely great. That's right. Um, Yeah. um, I, I think the best marketers, and I do that sometimes, I think I know people who do that like obsessively and they're very successful. Yeah. So that's an entirely another use of curiosity and ultimately it, it may be a more profitable one. Yeah, it's yeah. really good. So what uh you have a you have a note here and it says how to ask questions that people will be willing to answer. Wow, what do you mean by that? Okay. So you know a lot of people are afraid to ask questions and other people don't know how to ask them in a way that gets useful responses. And so here's some tips. I've been doing, I've been asking questions, interviewing people a long time, even professionally a long time. And uh, here's some things I can pass along as tips. First thing is, there's something called question shock. It it really is a term. And it, it comes when you just keep pummeling people with questions like a boxer is beating an opponent in a ring. Um, this is pummeling people with one question or another, you know, same thing like a prosecuting attorney, like a machine gun. This puts people on the defensive at the worst, at least it annoys them. I, I know someone who does this and um, he's successful, but I tend to avoid conversations with him because of that. It's just so unpleasant. It's exhausting. Um, you, you almost aren't sure if he's listening, you know? So, after you ask one question and listen to the answer to avoid this whole question shock thing, um, maybe contribute a little to the conversation um, yourself. Maybe express a little appreciation for what the person said before you dive into your, your next question. So that's, that's number one. Number two, this is an idea I got from Jim Rohn, and he wasn't talking about curiosity and research, but he was talking in general about asking people for help. And what he said was, when you want help from somebody, do as much as you can on your own to the point where there are some things you still can't do and then ask for the help. And people will be much more willing to help you than if you come to them like some uh, needy, helpless person. And so... Uh, applying that same idea to curiosity, when you're curious about something, do as much research on your own as you can before you ask a knowledgeable person. And, you know, these days with the internet, it's pretty easy to do good research if you put your mind to it. But also understand that when you're asking someone else, especially an expert, a wise person, a very experienced person, a busy person, when you're asking them something, it's very disrespectful to come to them unprepared yourself, whether your question is for a research project or, or just to satisfy your own curiosity. And I'll tell you what, when people feel disrespected, they certainly won't go out of their way to help you. But when they see 
that you've done all you can on your own to get the answer, and they're just some places you're stuck, they'll be a lot more willing to share what they know. And you'll get much better information. So that's the second thing. The last thing is listen. Most people don't listen. Most people, when they're in a conversation, they're just waiting for their next opportunity to get a word in edgewise. But listen and let people know you're listening and don't be in a rush to ask your next question. And again, express some appreciation. You know, when people are sharing hard won wisdom with you, especially when you're not paying the money for it, which is fine if you're not, but, you know, show them that you appreciate the value of what they're sharing with you. So this, would these type of uh, suggestions be, uh, I guess, applied to a copywriter? Would this be types or would this be things to keep in mind when you're like interviewing your clients, interviewing your market? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A- absolutely. I mean, uh, yeah, m- certainly the, the thing about question shock and listening you know, with, with somebody else, it can be a little creepy if they said, well, like if someone were to do, you know, really deep research on my life and they, and they said, David, you know, I found out that you and your best friend put Japanese beetles down the back of a neighbor girl when you were nine years old. You still do things like that, right? That'd be like, First of all, what? And, and secondly, uh, that's a little intrusive. So if you're interviewing someone, you want to do as much product and objective research, but you don't want to feel like, uh, you know, you're a, a, a federal, like you don't want them to feel like you're a federal investigator <laughs> or, or um, a spy. I hope that wasn't like a guilty admission that you just let slip. It was. It was. I, I can't believe I, I admitted that. I don't know why I'm talking about my childhood. Uh, but there you go. Yeah, really. Well, I'll tell you something funny. That girl called me up 10 years ago. She'd been holding this question herself. She said, did, did you guys do that? Did, you, did I remember that right? Did you guys really do that to me? She tracked me down on the internet. <laughs> And I think, I think I said, yeah, we did. Oh, no. Okay. So I'm going to completely pivot the conversation real. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's change the subject. I don't know how I got myself into that one. Oh, my God. So, so one thing uh, that I, I've realized when working with clients, a lot of times um, I have to ask them, you know, if they're, if they're good, if they're, if they're a good business owner, they're selling something that a lot of people are selling because they know that there's a market for it. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I like to nail down with them is why should people buy it from you rather than from other people? Mm-hmm. And a lot of times that's a very difficult cu- question to come up with the answer for. And sometimes they have to come up with the reason. Sometimes they have to change their product. Sometimes uh, an example I like to give is well, everybody sells tennis balls. You guys are selling tennis balls. That's great. Why should people buy your tennis ball rather than other tennis balls? And maybe the answer is, well, people play fetch with their dog. Tennis balls are green. They get lost in the grass. So we're going to make an orange tennis ball and it leads to an innovation. Um, How important is a sense of curiosity when it comes to actually innovating and, and 
bringing new things to the marketplace. Yeah, um, it's basically um, required. It's necessary. It's uh, it's super important. Um, I had a client who a really really bright guy and really successful in all kinds of innovation himself. And he had also studied and even interviewed many famous, well-known, successful inventors, over like 50 of them, over the second half of the 20th century. And he told me he'd found out there were two ways that these people came up with their ideas. Number one was solving a problem that existed, like, like, like you just said, you know, people play fetch with their dog with a tennis ball. It's green. You can't see it in the grass. So that solves a problem by making it orange, right? Solving a problem that existed and they, there were no existing solutions they could find. So that's one way of, of innovating. The other way is that's interesting. If you look at, these are really well-known examples. Um, the guy who invented post-it notes at 3M and uh, the guy who invented Corning Glass at, uh, at Corning Glass, <laughs> at Corning. Um, you know, uh, I mean, find, making a mistake or, or just stumbling over something, mistakes or discoveries they didn't expect. Now, point being, neither of those methods would yield any good results if the inventor wasn't insatiably curious. You know, the guy inventing corning glasses said, oh, that, that plate bounced. Okay, I need to do this whole thing over again as opposed to, wow, this glass got really hot and it didn't break. I wonder if there's something we can do with that. And he invents a whole new industry out of that one, one discovery. So for product creators, yeah. For copywriters, yeah. I mean, in a way, you could say we're talking about more than curiosity. We're talking about creative thinking, but... I'll, I'll just say it, it all starts with insatiable curiosity. Yeah. Okay. So what about, we've kind of talked about how curiosity can lead to, to these ideas. What about um, curiosity after, after the fact, going back and re-looking at things, being curious after you've kind of come to a discovery? Yeah. So uh, that comes in a, a word that I really didn't learn what it meant, even though I thought I knew what it meant when I was three. I thought I was really smart, but I didn't really know what it meant till I was in my fifties. And that word is reflect. You need to learn to reflect. Um, you need to learn how to think about stuff. Like just think about it. This, you need to learn how to, turn it over to your unconscious mind and then listen to your unconscious mind when it comes up with ideas. Um, and you can um, sort of prime this process by asking yourself questions like, what if it went this way? What if it were rearranged differently? What if it was put together like this? Or even, why is this so? You know, why did that um, glass plate that should have broken. Why did it bounce? What happened? And for copywriters, the, the, the question is, okay, so 
how could I use this in my copy? How could I use that trivia about Dr. Heimlich to open a podcast, right? Or if for product creators, okay, so how could I turn this into a product, right? So you need to ask a lot of these questions and then think about the answer. Don't, don't rush to judgment. You know, see if there's more than one answer. See, see where your mental journey leads you. Don't feel a lot of, well, you might feel a lot of pressure if you have a deadline, but whenever you can, take some time to think about stuff. Some of the best ideas really do take a lot longer than it seems like they should, but it's true for everybody. I'm going to add one thing to that. Uh, I, especially in my own business, I like to look at my ads and the ones that really do well, I like to ask myself, why did they do well? And the ones that bomb, because I do write ones that bomb pretty frequently as well. Like everyone else writes ads. <laughs> I like to go back and ask myself, why didn't this hit? What was it about it that I could, a lot of times I, I think, I think this is the perfect sales letter and I get a very dismal response. And I like to go back and ask, why didn't it hit? And um, that, that reflecting, uh, taking it and implementing it into the future. This one did really well. I wonder what it was. And try and, and implement that into your next one. Or this one didn't do very well. And I'm pretty sure it was because of this. And then tweaking it and rewriting it and changing that aspect. And then trying it again. Um, that right there that sense of curiosity can make all the difference in the world as well. It, it sure can. I mean, it's, it's a slow process, but you start to narrow the possibilities of what could actually work. And that's, that's one reason you become a more and more in-demand copywriter. Nice. So I'm curious, what are we going to be talking about next time? Huh? Well, uh, funny you should ask. Um, we're going to be talking about the biggest marketing mistake that most people make. Okay, now I'm really curious. <laughs> well, you're going to have to wait a week for this, Nathan, but I promise next week we'll talk about it. All right, awesome. Well, David, thank you so much. An awesome show. And where can people go to find out more? The Copywriters Podcast at copywriterspodcast.com. Awesome. All right, man, we will catch you later. Okay, see you later. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes so you never miss an episode.